On today's episode, I want to talk about being rusty and knowing your own music. This is Share the Knowledge. For the last 22 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. Hey guys, what's going on? It's your boy DJ TLM. You're checking out the Share the Knowledge podcast right here on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Anchor. And maybe you're checking out one of the video clips on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash TV. This is my weekly podcast, educational podcast for DJs where I answer questions that I receive on a weekly basis. And I also have a live stream on Facebook and I'll be answering a couple of questions from there as well. Now, like I said, today I want to talk about a couple of different topics, including being rusty and knowing your music. And I'm also going to talk about um, controlling your gain during mixes. So the first question is a question about being rusty. Now, this question comes from Palestine, and it's from a DJ who's been DJing for three years. Uh, he's still in school, and this year he canceled all his gigs and stopped practicing because he wanted to study hard and get a high grade. Now, he had some free time last week and wanted to practice a little bit, but it felt like he just didn't know anything anymore, and everything he played sounded bad, and he wants to know what he should do. Now, that is what we call being rusty. You can acquire a skill. That can be any skill, but if you don't do it for a long time, you will have to adjust again and get that feeling again. Now, to be honest, when a DJ tells me that they've been DJing for three years, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that you just got a set three years ago and practice every once in a while? Does that mean that you've been active in clubs for three years, that you're practicing on a daily basis? Because that all matters. So I'll give you this example. I know someone who took quite a long time to get his driver's license. Like that took way longer than it usually does. And um, after he got his license, he didn't get in a car for, I don't know, I think a couple of years. That was the biggest waste of money ever because he just had to learn everything again because he was not a practitioner. I mean, he took the classes and he was already not a fast learner, but once he got it, he didn't just drive anymore. So he's not a practitioner. He's, a practitioner. he's not doing what he learned how to do. And then you kind of unlearn, you forget so you've been playing for three years. I've had the same experience when I haven't scratched in a while. It's not as if I forgot how to scratch, but the first couple of minutes, I'm like, ooh, it's, it's not sounding as fresh and sharp as it should be. That happens if I haven't done that for a while. Now, of course, for me, I'll get back into rhythm within like a couple of minutes, sometimes even faster, like give it a minute and I'm good. But that's because I've been doing this for such a long time and I'm a true practitioner. So uh, it'll come back faster. Now, if you've played for three years and you didn't play that often, then, of course, if you haven't done it for a while, it's going to take you a little bit to get back into it. 
And maybe it's just disappointment because you were expecting just to take off where you left off, just to continue and be as good as you were. Um, and you j- just were surprised. So now you know that's pretty normal. And it's called being rusty. And you could have the same thing with driving a car, like the experience I just gave you. If you have your license and you haven't driven in a couple of months, it might take you a sec. You still know how to drive. That's not the issue. But you might have to adjust for a second and get that feeling again. And after that, you're good. So I wouldn't worry about it. Just continue to practice. And then it should definitely come back to you. So this next question is from Nigeria, and I have to give a big shout out to all the people, all my followers in Nigeria, because I get a lot of support from there. Uh, So I don't know what it is about Nigeria, but I get get a lot of love from Nigeria. So big shout out to all DJs out there. Now, this is from a DJ who started to DJ fully this year, and he's been faced with challenges. Now, one of the challenges is when he's playing at a party, most of the times he doesn't know what to play next from his head until he scrolls through his playlist. How can I correct this, DJ TLM? Well, this is not really a question of correcting it because it's not that you should know everything by heart from your head. That's not how it works. So, now, of course, this all depends on if you're practicing your sets or playing freestyle. But if I take it back to the days when I was still just using vinyl, I brought my vinyl. I had no playlist. I would play freestyle. But when I play a track, sometimes straight off the top in my head, I will get an idea of which track I want to play next. That's just because I play that one track. And when I hear that track through the speakers, I catch that vibe. And because I'm a fan, I'm a lover of the music, when I hear a track that I really like, I start to think of other tracks I like. So when I play that one track, a lot of times that'll give me an idea or like, oh, now I want to hear this. And in my case, I can because I'm in control. I'm the one playing the records. So I go grab that record. But there's been plenty of times in my vinyl days where I had no idea what I was going to play next. And what a DJ does then is he turns around towards his crates and you start lifting up sleeves one after the other, looking at the titles until you find one and it clicks like, yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm going to play next. So that's what we did all the time. You look for the next track. It's not like you have to do it all in your head. So like I said, this is not a question of correcting something. You don't have to correct this, but... Just realize that it's pretty normal. Now, here's the thing, though. Knowing your music is something that is essential because, like I said, half of the time I would catch that vibe and then I would automatically get an idea of what track to play next. That's because I knew the tracks that I had in my crates. If you know your collection and you love the music that you play, if you're playing one track that's in a certain vibe, most likely you will have an idea of which tracks you want to play and you can grab another track. And if you lose that inspiration for a second, then you go into your crates and you just go through the sleeves. Or now, of course, like I do in Serato, I just scroll through my folders. Or if you're using Rekordbox, through your playlists, whatever you use, now you're scrolling. There's nothing wrong with that. That's getting inspiration from the tracks that you see in that list. So never 
worry about that. But knowing your music really, really helps. Knowing what you have on your hard drive, knowing what you have in your crates, that makes it great. And I don't see the other question here, but I had a question that kind of relates to this. And that question was from someone who was asking me how I used to do it back in the days before I was playing digitally, before I had the BPM info, how I would play tracks, how I would beat match, or if I would just drop everything on the one. Again, this is where knowing your music comes into play. I never knew about mixing according to BPM until I started to play digitally and I could see that BPM info. So I was beat matching by ear, but I didn't have um, my crates in a certain, uh, uh, sorted out by BPM. Now I did see DJs that would have the BPM written on their sleeves, the sleeves of their vinyl, and I never understood why they did that until I started to play digitally and then I was like, hey, wow, sorting by BPM is pretty cool because it tells you automatically which tracks are in the same BPM range and which tracks will be easier to mix. Now, the way we did it before we had the BPM info is knowing your music would tell you which track would probably fit. Now, granted, sometimes you were wrong. Sometimes I would play a track and I'd be like, oh, I want to play this one next. I would grab that track, put it on, try to cue it. And within the first two seconds, I could hear like, oh, wait a minute, that is a totally different tempo. So in my mind, I thought it was right. And as soon as I heard it, I could hear like, okay, this is not going to work. And most of the times I would just take that record off again and look for something else. But of course, if you do want to switch and play something that is a totally different BPM range, you can do that, but then you can't beat match. Then you're not going to sync them. Then you're going to just drop it on the one or take that one track out, interact with the crowd, and then bring in that new track. But again, knowing your music, knowing your collection, and more importantly, knowing what you brought to the club, that is essential. That's going to help you out most of the times. So that's going to give you a lot of inspiration for knowing what to play next. Now, I have a question here from Bruce that kind of fits right into the narrative that um, that fits right into this narrative. And that is, you said, don't mix vocals over vocals. So if one song has vocals to the end of the song and the next song has a short intro, is it best to drop it uh, once the first song is totally done? Now, again, this is where knowing your music helps. Because if you know your tracks, then you know exactly which track has uh, uh, just an empty beat or which track starts with an intro or which track starts with vocals straight away. And yes, I've said before that you don't want to mix uh, vocals over vocals. Now, there are exceptions. When you have like a hook where there's just um, a couple of words being said, it's not like a full, full-on hook with full raps or, or singing then you might be able to combine it with singing from another hook and both vocals can work together. But especially if you have like two melodies and they're not in the same key, that's going to clash. It's not going to be a nice harmony. But I would try to stay away from that. So if one track has vocals uh, all the way in the end, now, first of all, mostly I don't get to the end of songs. I mix songs in their hooks. It's most likely not going to be the last hook. Now, if you're playing with real vinyl, then you have to figure out how you're going to make that switch. Most likely, I just still drop it on the one. Don't mix it. You don't have to wait till the end of the song, but at least find the right point and just drop it on the one. Maybe have a nice echo or whatever on the track that was playing. But 
now that you're playing digitally, most of you are, you do have options. There's probably going to be a couple of empty beats in that second track that you want to play, like beats or just the, the, the track with no vocals that you could loop. And you could play that loop part and mix that into the track that's already playing. So now you're not mixing vocals over vocals. Then you make sure that you have a cue point set at the beginning of the track. So after you've done your mix, your transition, then you can drop it uh, back to the beginning with that cue point. I mean, there's tricks you can apply. But if you want to keep it simple and you just like there's vocals in one track, vocals in the other track, just drop it on the one. You don't have to wait till the end of the track. Just at the end of the hook, Start that new track. Don't mix because you don't have to mix everything. So I received another question about requests, which is always uh, fun. Uh, I did a video about requests on YouTube, on my channel, uh, which you should check out if you haven't seen that one yet. But the question here is, do you think you're considered a bad DJ if you don't want to take requests of music if you're playing or if you're DJing at a party? Now... No, I don't think so. I think every DJ has to decide for themselves if they want to take requests. Some DJs love it. Most DJs hate it. And yeah, I can totally understand why. Look, for some, they just don't want to be bothered during their set. They want to play. They came. They were hired to play, and they want to focus on their performance, and they don't want to have people up against the DJ booth uh, in their face because it's a distraction. For other people, it is really more a question of principles. They're, they feel like they're the ones that were hired because of their skill and what they're, uh, what they're capable of doing. They don't want to hear your opinion when it comes to what, what needs to be played. Some people, like I said, love it because they just want to please the people any way they can. They feel it's a form of interaction, which, of course, it is. And I have to say, in certain situations, requests can help out. I've been to parties where it was pretty unclear what the crowd liked. I tried all sorts of music. Nothing, nothing seemed to work. Um, and then I started to get some requests. And those were tracks that I was definitely not thinking of. And with some of the requests, I was even like, really? And I played those tracks. And that seemed to be what the people were into. So actually, at that party, the requests saved my performance. But on a lot of occasions, I'm playing, and I'm playing at a party where there's a specific theme, specific music that's supposed to be played. And I already know that a lot of the people are going to ask the standard I don't want to say corny because a lot of tracks I do like, but the standard hits, tracks that you're already going to play. So that makes no sense to me. I'm already going to play them. And then you have people who are only thinking about their own personal preference and they're asking songs that just don't fit into what you're playing. And I'm not going to play those songs because they would ruin my vibe just because they want to hear that song. As a DJ, you're there to rock the crowd, please the crowd, but you're not a jukebox. And that's what I feel when, when some people tell me they hate requests. It makes them feel like they're a jukebox. Hey, play this. Okay. I mean, that's not a DJ. That's a jukebox. So I, I can see all the pros and cons, and I can totally understand everyone's feeling when it comes to this, everyone's opinion. But no, I definitely, definitely say no when the question is, are you a bad DJ if you don't take requests? No, you're not. 
I received another question from Dos Muchos, uh, giving him a shout out from the Facebook live stream. And the question was uh, tips on gain control during mixing. Now, this is something that I've heard, I wanted to say seen, but heard a lot. And it's, uh, it's, it's a tell when you got a DJ playing and they're really messing up when it comes to volumes. To me, it's a tell that you're not a pro yet. Um, you hear DJs play and you're hearing one track and then the next track comes in and it's almost twice as loud. I'm turning around in shock looking at the DJ booth and the most shocking thing to me would be not the fact that it came in way too loud. I mean, it's a mistake, but that could happen. But the fact that they did not correct after that track came in, meaning to me that they're not hearing that the volume is way off and I've had it happen that I just walked to the DJ booth, not to disrespect in any way. And as subtle as I could, I would go to that gain and just turn it back a little bit or let them know like, whoa, that one is, is like way too loud. So it should be something that your ears should be in control of. You should be able to hear on your headphones, through the monitor speakers, that one track is way too loud. I don't see how that happens. When I'm cueing on my headphones, I can hear like, okay, this is way too loud. But if your ears aren't working that well, you still have right here, oh, I'm pointing towards the mixer. Uh, you can't see that if you're listening, of course. But if you have your mixer, you have that visual aid right there that can show you the levels. All the channels on that mixer have that VU meter telling you exactly how loud it's playing. Now, I don't even care that much about the numbers, but you got your uh, either uh, green, yellow, or orange, and then red. You want to make sure that you're not in the red. That's one. But the other thing is you can choose a level and try to stick to that level. So let's say I take it to green. And right at the point where it goes into the orange, like the first orange, if that is my mark, I try to keep all tracks on all channels on that same level. Now, granted, keep in mind, don't just trust your eyes. Some tracks just have a couple different frequencies in there that'll make it louder on that view meter. But when you hear them together, it's not quite the same level. So what you see on the meter and what you hear through the speakers is not always going to be exactly the same. But it's a great way to start. If you see that that one track is all the way in the red while the other one is just in the green, you can already tell that they're not playing at the same volume. One track is playing way louder than the other. So those are the things. You look at your view meters and then you have your ears and you should be able to hear it in your headphones. If you're someone who uses the headphones to hear both tracks, uh, and mix in your headphones, then it should be really obvious. I don't. I only listen to the track that I'm bringing in. But even then, I just do a quick switch on the mixer and cue the track that's already playing, then cue back to the new track, and I can hear the difference in levels if it's there, and then adjust it accordingly. So that's, to me, the best way to make sure you control your gain during mixes. So a couple more questions. One question is if I have any tips on mixing genres. So I guess meaning uh, mixing different genres. Well, first of all, when you're mixing, when you're beat matching, it's all about matching the tempo. So tracks can be a totally different genre. But if the tempos match, then you can mix it. 
not saying everything's going to sound great together, but then you can mix it. So, for instance, if you tra- uh, if you take some um, some trap, and a lot of that trap might be uh, marked at like 70 BPM or 140 BPM, basically same thing. That's a different uh, different story. But let's say it's 140. Then you also have a lot of dubstep. That's a different genre, but it's also in the same uh, um, category as far as BPM, same range. You can mix that easily. Then I might find a crazy uh, old pop tune that also has that same BPM. That means I can mix it. So tempo is one thing. That's going to work out. If something is in the same BPM range, you can mix it. Now, if we're talking about if I'm playing at a party where I play different genres, but certain genres don't mix really well. Let's say it's a party where I can play hip-hop and R&B, but I'm also playing house. Um, those are totally different genres, and a lot of tracks won't really blend. In that case, I'm just going to take um, switch it or switch it. I'm going to split it into sections, and I'll play some hip-hop, R&B, maybe play some dancehall. If it's time to play some house, I'll just break off what I'm doing and switch to that different genre. So in that case, I'm not going to mix the track. Let's say the last track is hip-hop and the first new track is is house. And that hip-hop track is uh, 80 BPM and the house is 128. I'm not going to attempt to do beat matching. So I'm not going to mix. In that case, I'm just going to hit it and stop the one track, start the new track on the one. If I do that with an extra effect or if I do that through hosting, I'll find a way to make that work, but I'm not going to mix it. Or if you really want to go through with beat matching, you need to find some transition tracks. Those are special tracks that were edited, that they start in a certain BPM, and then go to their original BPM. So sometimes you might have a track that's 128, but they'll start it all the way down to uh, down at like 80 or 90, and the first eight bars will be in that slower BPM, and then they'll have a built-in uh, uh, transition where it speeds up all of a sudden. So that way you can still make it a mix. So there are ways to do it, but I would always like to say don't feel you have to mix everything. But then I would stay in that house range for the next, whatever, 10 minutes, 15 minutes in that BPM and then switch it up again to do a different genre. You don't want to go up and down and play uh, 90, 128, uh, 80, uh, 140. That's going to get real messy. Then we have a question from Aaron. And the question is, I love chopped and slowed music. That's chopped and screwed, right? Uh, But it's not popular where I'm from. I do worry about trying to play that style of music in front of people in case I might get a bad reaction. All right. Now, I feel as a DJ, you should be comfortable in trying things, being experimental with your music. If you have tracks that you feel are dope and could work, you could definitely try them. Now, you do need to make sure that you do a little research in certain areas or certain clubs or certain countries. Uh, specific genres are not accepted. I've seen that and heard that before. Like in this part of the country, they're really into um, trap. But if you go to that side of the country, uh, they really do not want to hear that. So it would be good to know that if you're playing in a certain uh, area, if Chopped and Screwed is at least allowed to be played in that club because you don't want to get in trouble. So I'm not saying that everyone has to like it, but just to make sure that it's okay if you try something like that. Then if you know that you can, 
um, the best way to experiment with tracks, and I've tried that all the time, is just to make sure that you have a track ready that really works with that crowd. So if you try your chopped and screwed track and the reaction is not what you would what you hoped it would be, you can just go straight back into a track that they really love. Now, they might not really like the song that you just played, but that's okay. It's not like one song is going to be something that's going to make them say, like, this DJ is really bad. Now, if you go in there and you start to play, like, 20 minutes chopped and screwed tracks and pay no attention to what the crowd feels, then people might be like, yo, I saw that DJ last time, and he's horrible if they don't like that music. But you can experiment. Just try. Just try. Give it a little play. It's easy to see if people like it a bit, love it, or absolutely hate it, and go off that. If they hate it, then you know, like, all right, let me get that out, play something they like, and then you know for the next time, okay, this crowd is not ready for that type of music. And if they like it a bit, then you know, like, okay, this has a chance, and you can try to look for maybe a nice Chopped and Screw remix of a track that they really love, and play that, play some of the more popular remixes. Um, yeah, man, but never be afraid to experiment. I've seen too many DJs that just play it super safe and only play the exact little list of hits that will work, but that's so corny. I mean, we are out there to, of course, rock that crowd, but if 10 DJs are playing and all 10 DJs play the same exact list of tracks, you're not setting yourself apart from the rest. Uh, there's nothing special about you, so why should they book you again when they can book 10 others to play that exact same thing? And I mean, to me, that's not why I became a DJ. I want to make sure that I play things I love and there's so much music out there, so if I play a certain genre for the crowd and I found some new bangers, I'm going to try some stuff out. And if I see that it doesn't work, cool, then I know it. Sometimes something becomes a hit afterwards and you can still start to play it then, but never be, uh, never be afraid to experiment. So guys, that's where I'm going to end episode 32 of Share the Knowledge. I'm here every Monday bringing you new answers to questions that you guys ask me. You can ask me questions anywhere through email. It's djtlmtv at djtlm.com. The comment section everywhere, my handle is at djtlm. So that's Twitter, Snapchat, um, on my SoundCloud page, of course. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, I'm there, ask your questions, and I want to sp send a special shout out to the people on the Facebook live stream for sending me all this great content, all these great questions that I can answer, and in this case, I've received so many good questions that I already have enough for a full podcast next week, so definitely a big shout out to all of you. Now, you can catch the full episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Anchor. And I'll have a couple of snips up on YouTube as well. So I'll be back next week. You can send me questions everywhere. And I want to send a shout out to all of the people watching and listening everywhere. And also let you know once again that I want to make sure that you feel free to join the conversation in the comment section everywhere. And if you see a question that hasn't been answered and you know the answer because you actually experienced that same thing, feel free to jump in and answer that question. Sometimes I get to see answers that teach me something new as well. So that really helps the community out and that's what it's all about. Adding value to that community so we can all learn and all share the knowledge. So again, that's it for episode 32 of Share the Knowledge. I'll be back next week. And until that time, peace.